Mark, I was re-watching The Wolf of Wall Street just the other day, really? and I thought to myself, yes, wouldn't it be good to make all that money without doing, you know, all that bad stuff? Well, it certainly would, Simon, without the bad stuff. Yes. Well, Mark, after the film finished, I hopped onto the internet, as you do, and I found this site called Shopify. Have you heard of Shopify? I think I might have done, but tell me. Well, Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, or grow your own business. Yes, I have heard of Shopify. It's the commerce platform revolutionising millions of businesses worldwide. That's right. Whether you're selling Danish pastries or cherry wine. Lovely. Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can successfully grow your business. Full of the industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without learning new skills in design or coding. And what's lovely about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify will be there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk slash Kermode. Hello? Not Mayo. All lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash Kermode. Take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.co.uk slash Kermode. Something wrong here. Without Mayo. We need to be 110% sure. I want you to see it. I want you to see that wire strapped on his body. I want you to see it. You hear me? I want you to see it. Otherwise, all bets are off. You understand? No. This is our friend we're talking about here. Hello, I'm Ben Bailey-Smith. And I'm Sasha Bates. And I can't believe how excited I am about this. I mean, I've been offered so many rubbish ideas for podcasts. <laughs> Things that you've heard a million times before. And this, I think, is something else for real. So it really, it really excites me to say welcome for the first time to the brand new podcast, Shrink the Box. This this, my friends, is the podcast where we put our favourite fictional characters from the biggest TV shows into therapy. We're sticking them on the couch. The likes of Fleabag, Beth Harmon from The Queen's Gambit, Omar, Omar Little from The Wire. Imagine him on the couch for a two o'clock and try to uncover why their behaviour can be so fascinating. Sasha here is an integrative psychotherapist. She's the expert. I'm just an actor and a scriptwriter, and I know a bit about building story and bringing characters to life. I also know a little bit about being in therapy. I, I am a client. I feel like we've got all bases covered, Sash, you know? <laughs> we um, have. At the top there, we heard a clip from what? That was, of course, The Sopranos, which mm. I can't believe was actually back in 1999 oh when it first Lord. came out on HBO. Unbelievable. That I mean, that's a different lifetime, isn't it? Mm. 1999. And it's widely regarded as one of the greatest and most influential television series of all time, winning 21 Emmys. <sighs> it is, it's, it's my favourite show of all time because it has everything that I love. It makes me laugh out loud. It's incredibly dark, honest. The acting is off the scale. The writing is phenomenal, economic, and yet deep. I rewatched the entire six, six and a half, and people never know where it's six or seven seasons, but I watched it all again recently. I, I don't think there's any other show I would do that with. 
it felt like putting an old album on. I agree. I only rewatched the first series and that's the only one we're going to be talking about today. But I also couldn't, I hadn't, I'd forgotten how funny it is. It's, it's hilarious. It's so funny. And also how much I love Tony Soprano and it feels like this guilty pleasure. He's a mob boss, he kills people, mm-hmm. he's ruthless, but we all kind of fell in love with him. Set and the mould, didn't it, in terms of that? Yeah, like, yeah. Of being... lo- loving someone who's horrible. Yeah. Now, now that's like... Just every series is like that. You know, it's Dexter. He's, oh, sorry, he's a serial killer. Mm. You know, none of it could happen without us. No, exactly. And that's why I think it's so clever, because we sort of trace the steps from what made that innocent little boy. You know, we all sort of start off innocent and then we see all the various kind of things that happen to us that can turn us into quite screwed up adults. I mean, the other thing that's really interesting is that he is actually in therapy himself. So we're kind of getting a bit of a a, a meta look. Yeah, this is going to be a meta week on Shrink the Box, isn't it? doubt about that. Yeah. And we see the power of of his mother. We see the power of parenting and the effect that can have on somebody. Yeah. And that really was the essence of the show. I mean, originally it was going to be about a TV producer and his impossible mother, which was, you know, it was just David Chase's experience. But he just said, who wants to watch that? So they just stuck it in a mob world because that was another sort of Italian-American world and then David Chase was Italian-American. It's not really even about being in the mob. It is about Tony and his relationships. I mean, he's a father, he's a, a son, He's goes to work every day and it's about the relationships that he has with the people he works with. Mm. They just happen to be mobsters. But yeah. we can all relate and that's what's so weird is we can totally relate to so much of what he and his family go through, even though hopefully most of us aren't faced with quite the same decisions. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What I really liked about it, because when I watched it back in, you know, 1999, as we've established, or or 2000 over here, I wasn't a therapist back then. So I didn't have a clue whether it was realistic, his his sessions. Now that I'm watching it through the lens of being a therapist, I can see that actually it's amazingly truthful. So, all right, it's time to get inside the mind of TV's most famous mobster, Anthony Soprano. We should say there's going to be spoilers galore in our discussions. I'm sorry, in advance. And there's going to be some adult language because... Mobsters. So before you can say bada bing, what do you hear? What do you say? Welcome to Shrink the Box. You've just you just just come back off lunch break, Sash. It's uh, it's about it's about half one. Gearing up for your two o'clock. Give us the lowdown on your new client, Anthony Soprano. He is a married father of two. He's uh, approaching 40, we think. Um, His wife is Carmela. He's got his teenage daughter called Meadow and a son called AJ. They live in New Jersey. He's got his mother, Livia, living quite close by. She's a caution, that one, as we'll come to see. He runs a waste management company, Mm. which is, of course, just the front for many, many illegal activities that he is really um, running. Um, he has an uncle called Junior, also called Corrado, who over the course of the series rises to boss. But there's a bit of a power struggle going on there between the two of them. And yeah, he's been having panic attacks and that leads him to go and seek the help of Dr. Melfi. Which is a huge shout, right? Because oh, huge. Yeah. you can't show vulnerability in, in their profession. So well, let's have a listen to Tony in full flow. 
Nowadays, everybody's got to go to shrinks and counselors and go on Sally, Jesse, Raphael and talk about their problems. Whatever happened to Gary Cooper? The strong, silent type. The strong, type. silent type. That was an American. He wasn't in touch with his feelings. He just did what he had to do. See, see what they didn't know was once they got Gary Cooper in touch with his feelings, that they wouldn't be able to shut him up. And then it's dysfunction this and dysfunction that and dysfunction my fungal. You have strong feelings about this. Let me tell you something. I had a semester and a half of college, so I understand Freud. I understand <laughs> therapy as a concept. But in my world, it does not go down. Could I be happier? Yeah. Yeah. Who couldn't? Do you feel depressed? Since the ducks left. <laughs> It's incredible. <laughs> uh, just transported straight back. Mm. That was, of course, uh, the amazing uh, James Gandolfini mm. playing Tony Soprano there and, and, and uh, Lorraine Bracco as Dr. Melfi. Uh, that was episode one pilot of the Sopranos series one, written and directed by the creator, uh, David Chase. It's made by HBO and available on Amazon Prime, Apple TV or Sky. Um, we'll give you full credits for all the clips at the end of this podcast, but I mean that 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 really does set it up, you know. And and as he was talking, I I thought it's not just about him. I mean, it is just about him as he's as he's speaking, the character speaking. But in terms of, it feels like a sort of metaphor for where America, or where the you know the writer felt America was perhaps heading as well. This sort of end of an age of innocence. What do you think is the first thing he'd be presenting to you, you know, and in, in presenting, I mean, the initial problem that causes someone to seek help? What we first see about him is that he has been having panic attacks. That's his right, sort of presenting yeah. issue that completely disorientate him because he's not used to not being in control. But this often happens. And I mean, I love that clip that he sort of makes fun of Freud. He's done a mm. semester and a half, so he understands so Freud. semester <laughs> and a half. But, you know, he makes fun of him. But actually this notion that the subconscious is giving us messages that our conscious mind doesn't want to hear. Um, mm. I mean, we see that throughout the series. And one of the ways that the subconscious comes knocking if we really don't want to listen is through the body. It's called somatization. It is the body showing us what our minds don't want to let in. And the panic attack is exactly that. His mind won't let him entertain the fact that maybe he's feeling depressed, maybe he's feeling a bit more vulnerable, maybe he's not a Gary Cooper, maybe it's, you know, back in the time when men were men, you know, maybe that's not actually something he can live up to or would want to. So his body tells him. And we see other examples of somatization later, much later when Pussy, one of the other capos, one of the guys that works for him, he has a really bad back. Melfi explains that having a bad back can actually be a, a physical depiction of you're carrying too big a burden. There's too much stress. Your back literally can't hold it. And it can also be the burden of carrying secrets. And that will be an important part of the story, this mm. hiding of secrets. You know, we're all quite familiar with the notion that if we're nervous, we get a you know, butterflies in our tummy or if we're embarrassed, we go red. We sort of accept that our body will show things about us or give us messages. But then when we kind of, when it gets to bigger things like a panic attack, we don't want to think that, oh, this is our body telling us something. It's got to be completely, you know, everyone wants to separate the physiological and the psychological, but they're completely interlinked. If our conscious mind can't get us to articulate what's going on, our body, which is so much more clever than we give it, credit for that will show us 
no, you've got to address this. You've yeah. got to look at the unhappiness that's there. But the first thing that troubles him is some ducks land in his swimming pool. Yeah, one of the first interpretations that Melfi makes is to link up the panic attack with what he'd been doing just before and he was watching these ducks fly away. And I think they're a really good symbol of the sort of the turmoil in his mind in a way because I think that a lot of that is to do with, I think, the kind of loss of values, loss of family that he's confronting, as a lot of, you know, men in their approaching 40 do. They have a, a bit of a midlife crisis about all that they're losing. And the ducks flying away, in a way, symbolise everything that's flying away and out of his life. If we were to look at the sort of therapeutic relationship between Tony and, and, and Melfi, why did he choose to see her at all, given the risks of a mobster telling all, I mean, not just in terms of indicting himself, but other guys finding out like that. That's like a whackable offence. Yeah, well, I mean, I think he is slightly at the end of his tether. And I think um, he recognises that he does need help and that he can't get there on his own if he wants to kind of stop having the panic attacks, stop feeling depressed, stop feeling so hopeless all the time. I also think that it's quite a good um, sort of metaphor for how dangerous many people feel going into therapy is. I mean, he has a very real and concrete reason for it feeling threatening that, yes, if he could get whacked if people found out. But I think a lot of us, that danger feels very present. That oh, What if I find out something? What if I open a door that I don't want to see what, what is behind? So being in therapy can feel really dangerous to a lot of people. I can feel anxious about going into therapy just with a new therapist. I completely get that. It is really frightening to mm. go and tell your kind of deepest, darkest secrets yeah. and reveal your vulnerabilities to a, to a stranger. And that's why it's so important to build trust. And mm. we can see it through the relationship of, of um, Tony and Dr. Melfi, that that's like the first task. That's the first task of any therapist is to hope that they can start to trust you. His wife, Carmela, is very supportive of this process. But right from the offset, she assumes that it's a man. Mm. And he very pointedly doesn't correct her. People often do fall in love with their therapists. It's a very common occurrence. It's called erotic transference. But in a way, it's sort of almost necessary because you need to trust your therapist. If you're to get anywhere, you do need to trust them. And in the process of building that trust, it might be for many people the first time anybody's actually listened to them, mm. has made them feel safe enough to admit to their foibles. And it can be very easy to confuse that feeling of safety and care and concern with sexual love, because a lot of people, the only time they've ever had intimacy with a member of the opposite sex, or obviously the same sex if, if, you're, not, if you're not straight, then you don't understand what it is you're feeling. You don't understand that this is just a safe attachment, intimate relationship. You think, oh, well, it must be sexual. I dream about you. I think about you all the time. I can't get excited about any other women. There's nothing else to say. I love you. Let me start here. I know this may be very hard for you to swallow, but you're only feeling this way because we've made such progress. What? I've been gentle. That's my job. I listen. That's what I do best. I've been a broad, generic, sympathetic woman to you because that's what this work calls for. You've made me all of the things you feel are missing in your wife. 
and in your mother. So, yeah, it's a common thing for people to fall in love with their therapists, as Tony does indeed go on to do. So in a way, yeah. in a way, Carmela's almost right to be yeah. jealous. From the jump, he's a, he's a tricky, uh, very tricky client. And um, he's used to lying. I mean, he lies for a living. Does. That's what he does. He lies to his own children. We see that very early on, him lying to his very savvy, very smart daughter. But yeah, uh, not somebody you'd necessarily feel 100% safe having on the couch. Let's, let's hear a little clip of Tony crossing an early boundary. Just so you understand that I have to charge you for the missed session. What are you talking about? We agreed on that on our very first meeting. I know, but I just explained to you my situation. I understand, but it's important that we respect the agreement. What if I got hit by a car? But you weren't. I know, but what if? But you weren't. I, I know that, but, but what if? You weren't. Why don't you answer my fucking question? I will not. You won't? All right, fine. Fine, here. Here you go. Because this is what it's all about, right? Motherfucking cock-sucking money. Here. I don't understand that comment, and I don't appreciate being made to feel afraid. I don't appreciate feeling like I pour my heart out to a fucking call girl. Is that how you see me? Not until now. But, but it's obvious you don't give a shit about my situation or what's happening with me. Otherwise, you won't be shaking me down. It'll show it as paid on your next month's bill. Fine. Stick it up your ass. Numerous boundary crosses there. The discomfort and the anger around the payment. And Tony's revealing something here next to Melfi, but, but what exactly is it, do you think? Boundaries is a really important and really interesting concept in, in therapy, and they're really necessary. And it's kind of um, counterintuitive in a, in a way that the thing that he feels as showing that there isn't any trust in the relationship is actually a way of building trust because she holds the line. She's not to be swayed. She's not going to be seduced. She's not going to be flirted with. She's not going to be bought off with coffees or compliments. And that is one of the ways in which he realises he gets to see oh, she is reliable. Right. I can't treat her like I treat everyone else in my life. And even the one with um, insisting that he pays for the missed session, it is important that she holds that boundary because if she gives way on any one little thing, he will start to think, oh, she's not a reliable, safe yeah. parent because that is also another dynamic is that it's, in a way, it's a reparative relationship. People that haven't been adequately parented, which actually is most of us, this isn't any slur on anybody's parents because people who are parents can never get it all right. There's always going to be slips and we're always all going to then have to kind of deal with the feelings that we felt weren't mirrored back to us. He had particularly bad parenting and Melfi has to sort of stand in local co-parentis in a way. She has to show him that a parent can be good, can be reliable, can be trustworthy. Some of the threatening behaviour we see from him, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of therapists would say, I'm just not doing this. But Melfi, is there sympathy there? Is there some kind of Italian-American bonding going on? There's, there's something else going on, isn't there? Because the way that he behaves is kind of unacceptable. Well, do you know what? I think most therapists would be okay with that. I really? Mean, okay. Yeah, so that goes to show you how little I know. Yeah. It just seemed crazy to me. I, I haven't had a client who is literally a criminal, but if you hold a boundary they will get angry at us. And that's part of the therapy. And part of being a therapist is being able to hold somebody's anger. For many people, 
the only response they've ever had to their anger is for the other person to either collapse or to retaliate. Right. So they'll either collapse and say, oh, God, don't be so mean and I'm so sorry and it's all my fault. Or they'll retaliate. They'll, you know, fuck you. You know, how yeah. dare you talk to me like that? And not many people have had an experience of having their anger met, which is one of the reasons why anger is such a shameful emotion. So for a therapist to actually just hold the anger, to not collapse, not retaliate, just say, yeah, I see that you're angry and that's an appropriate response. You can be angry, but I'm not <laughs> budging. That's exactly what she does as well, isn't it? She says, you feel very strongly about this. Mm. I can tell. Mm. <laughs> Sasha, we've talked about panic attacks and some issues that occur in real therapy, but what would be Tony's next presentation that you'd like to address? Well, he's pretty depressed. I think that's pretty clear. He seems to have lost his mojo. He's he's not that excited by anything. And it is the eroding values, I think, surrounding him and his lack of lack of trust in in his his soldiers. They are less reliable than they once were. And he's got this really interesting competition with his uncle Junior, who, as the series starts, they're they're equal. They're both capos. One of them is going to become mob boss after the ruling mob boss Jackie dies, which he's about to do from cancer, which is actually another reason why Tony's depressed because I think Jackie has been a bit of a role model to him, mm. a bit of a father figure. He he slightly idealises him and Absolutely. he's on the point of, of death. And Junior and he, they kind of, they have this really sort of nitpicking little relationship. They're always sort of kind of getting at each other and trying to get, do a bit of sort of one-upmanship. There's nothing very comfortable in his world. He has a lot of dreams about being impotent as well. That comes up a lot. I think in in one dream, he dreams that um, one of his ducks, that his recurring motif, fly off with his penis. And obviously impotence is, I have got no power over my own life. He's lost sort of agency. He doesn't feel powerful. We sort of kind of see him start to build trust in Melfi. There are a few funny little kind of examples of that process happening and I've definitely done this where not even just in therapy but when you come into contact with somebody who seems more together than you you almost feel attracted to them not in the traditional sense but you might mirror some of the behaviors or advice or things that they say yeah, it's uh, it's called internalization, and again, it mirrors the relationship between a, a parent and a child. So children sort of learn how to be through their parents, and you can hear them sort of um, echoing the things that their parents say and do. And it's the same with the therapist. As you start to think, oh no, this person knows what they're talking about. One would hope um, <laughs> they, you can start to talk like they talk, try and do the behaviours that, that that you've seen them them model. I mean, there's a really funny one where Melfi talks about the hotel at the Cap Tebe and <laughs> Tony wants to talk about this later and he calls it Captain Tebe yeah. or something. It's very funny. So he's It's a retirement community. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you can see him with his kids. He starts to say, how are you feeling about that? So she's having an effect. He's learning that opening up to her, being heard is something that he's valuing and he tries to offer that to his kids. So yeah, there's, there's also like a bit of boundary crossing from the other direction, isn't there? Because there's a, a moment where Melfi goes and has dinner at Tony and Carmela's neighbours, the, the Cusamanos, uh, the Italian doctor and his wife who live next door, partly so she can spy on him 
through the toilet window. I mean, she's she's crossed the line there, surely. It, it is, and I, I would hope that no real therapist would, <laughs> would do that. But I like the the kind of the symbolism of it because therapists do get intrigued by their clients. They do want to know more. I mean, it's partly why we go into the profession because we kind of really want to get to know people. You know, clients aren't just a paycheck. You do kind of take them home with you in, in a sense um, in that you carry on thinking about them after they've gone you know, you're always thinking about how can I help them more? So they do kind of go home with you in in a way. In fact, further down the line, we see some mirroring in the other direction. You know, she becomes a bit more aggressive. Mm. She becomes very defensive of, you Mm. know, the Italian working class. Mm. She's very invested in Mm. him. When her her family, you know, she talks about him, not him as him. She anonymizes him, which again, hopefully a real therapist wouldn't do that, but for dramatic purposes. When her family try and persuade her not to have him as a client she says no I, I am I'm there for him fascinating stuff man one of the greatest series of all time mm. if not the in my opinion and after this break we're going to remind ourselves what Dr Melfi says that makes Tony grab her by the throat the ultimate boundary cross but first you know, I don't know we'll tuck into some big ziti or a cannoli or two and uh, we'll see you after the break well, no fucking ziti now oh This episode is brought to you by the good folks at NordVPN. Mark, would you say that AI has been one of the hot topics of the last 12 months or I so? I would indeed yes. say that, Simon. We've had uh, writers and actors striking over the potential misuses of AI. We've had many films exploring the topic, including uh, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, and The Creator, among others. We have, and although technological advancements bring with them exciting things, they also open the door to cybercrime. Yes, and with all these technological improvements, cybercrime will become more accessible to the average criminal and will become more frequent. And I've said it once, and I'll say it again, this is why NordVPN is so important. With one click on the NordVPN app, you are protected, meaning that you don't have to be tech-savvy. Their threat protection feature shields your devices from viruses, malicious malware, and phishing sites. Also, one NordVPN account can be used on up to six devices. Plus, you can get access to streaming services in other regions, all for the price of a cup of coffee per month. To get the best available discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com take. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And you'll help support our podcast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Well, hello there. Simon and Mark here to tell you about Indeed. Yes, Indeed is driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, then you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data. And if you're busy watching all of this week's film recommendations and you have no time, then you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. But Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 75% of employers claim Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other online job sites. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets, like us. Why not join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed 
to hire great talent fast. Listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash Kermode Mayo. That's indeed.com slash Kermode Mayo. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. Mark, I was re-watching The Wolf of Wall Street just the other day, really? and I thought to myself, yes, wouldn't it be good to make all that money without doing, you know, all that bad stuff? It certainly would, Simon, without the bad stuff. Yes. Well, Mark, after the film finished, I hopped onto the internet, as you do, and I found this site called Shopify. Have you heard of Shopify? I think I might have done, but tell me. Well, Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, or grow your own business. Yes, I have heard of Shopify. It's the commerce platform revolutionising millions of businesses worldwide. That's right. Whether you're selling Danish pastries or cherry wine, Lovely. Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can successfully grow your business. Full of the industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without learning new skills in design or coding. And what's lovely about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify will be there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk slash Kermode. Hello? Not Mayo. All lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash Kermode. Take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.co.uk slash Kermode. Something wrong here. Without Mayo. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there is always something new to discover. Such as? Well, such as High and Low, John Galliano, which is the thought-provoking new documentary from Oscar winner Kevin MacDonald, charting the rise and fall of the fashion designer John Galliano. It's, uh, it traces Galliano's working and private life through the decades, candidly investigating his struggles with addiction and the industry pressure he faced along the way. It features conversations with Naomi Campbell, Kate Moss, Penelope Cruz, Charlize Theron, uh, Anna Wintour, and many, many more. And it is showing in UK cinemas from March the 8th. Or you could explore the Women's Cinematographers Film Group, streaming on movie in the UK from March the 8th. As women have found more equal footing in the film industries, directors, producers and screenwriters, cinematography remains a stubborn final frontier. Around International Women's Day, Mubi are spotlighting the artistic and technical work of women working behind the camera, including... Including films such as Annette from 2021, Benedetta from the same year, and more recently, Passages, all streaming in the UK from March the 8th. You can try Mubi free for 30 days at mubi.com slash Kermit of Mayo. That's mubi.com slash Kermit of Mayo for a whole month of great cinema for free. And we are back. So this is, this is the big one, Sasha. What is it Dr. Malfi says to Tony that makes him absolutely lose it? Well, over the course of the therapy, what becomes very apparent is... um, how influential his mother has been and continues to be in his life. And Tony does not want to accept that she could be the cause of some of his major issues. And Melfi keeps pushing and pushing and trying to get Tony to see that his mother 
is possibly not the saint that he <laughs> calls her early on. I mean, he knows she isn't. I mean, he complains about her left, right and centre. So he knows she's no saint, really. But he still feels that he's the son, he should look after her, she's worthy of care, that she has his best interests at heart. But it becomes increasingly apparent through the flashbacks that we see. That's not necessarily the case. She's actually really sadistic. She actually genuinely does want to harm him. And there's a couple of instances that we see in flashback when he was younger. She said what? She was high-strung, my mother, very dramatic. And every night to her the night at the opera. I could stick this fork in your eye! She wasn't going to do it. I mean, it's awful. Always for a young with child. the drama. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, for a young child to terrifying, hear that, yeah. absolutely terrifying. Because as children, our parents represent survival. If we, if our parents aren't going to look after us, we can't look after ourselves. And so they take on huge importance. And there's a bit actually with Carmela saying, you're his mother, you know the power you, you have. So there's actually really interesting theory called the moral defence, which explains why children will, and as adults, will continue to stick up for their parents long after they've realised that they're probably not worth sticking up for. And that's because children would rather see themselves as bad and their mothers or their parents as good because otherwise it's almost like that way lies madness. If I'm a child, I rely on my mother or my father for everything and they're not up to the job. If they can't do it, then that way lies chaos. So it's easier to think, okay, it must be me that's bad. She can't be bad because she ha I have to believe in her godlike power. It must be me that's Even bad. Even when you become an adult and you don't physically need them or depend mm. on them to survive. Yeah. You still prefer to think of it that way around. It's easier because then it's in your control. If you think I'm the bad one, there's always the possibility that, oh, if I can just change, if I can just stay controlled, if I can make things right, if I can be a better son, then, yeah, the, these, these patterns run really deep. It's really hard to get out of the habit of thinking that your parent isn't doing their best job because to know that they're not doing a good job, that they're not up to it, is really frightening. And just to remind everyone that Tony is broken and furious and doesn't believe until he hears taped proof from the FBI that his own mother was setting him up to be whacked. And he says, you know, that, that almost tear-jerking line of, you know, what kind of person can I be that his own mother wants him dead? No, it's horrific. What could that do to a, a person? I think you started off saying, what is it that makes him lunge across the room and practically take her by the throat? And it is that awful realisation that she's right. He gets angry. He'd rather get angry at Melfi for even suggesting it. And it is literally when he, only when he hears the FBI's tape that he has to has to take it on board. So I think it's absolutely devastating. But also what it can do is then liberate him because he realises that he has been living a lie. He's been supporting this woman. He's been defending this woman. And actually, she wasn't worth defending. So it can liberate him to say, OK, now I can see I'm not the really bad person that I thought I was. I can actually change. I don't have to stick with the lie that I've been living under, that I'm terrible. And is this the sort of penny-dropping moment that's, you know, often hard won in therapy. Yeah, I think it's a massive, massive insight. It is rare, but there are there are some people who 
probably due to their own upbringing, do not know how to love their own children, who are envious of their own children, who can't bear to see their children be loved and become lovable because they never experienced that. So their envy is so great that they feel they want to destroy them. These are people who exist and have existed for generations within families of murderers. Mm. Right. Their parents, their uncles, aunts, they're murderers or, you know, murderers associates. Mm. And they've kept it in the family for generations. Mm. And we see that difference throughout all six, seven series of, of of the Sopranos between quotes unquote normal Italian Americans mm. and mobsters. She is clearly a very messed up woman and she doesn't know how to love. Mm. There's a terrifying moment, isn't there, when he confronts her ab- mm. about what he now believes to be true mm. in the hospital. Mm. Her face is partly obscured by an oxygen mask. And he's letting it all out. All the home truths. How could you do this to me? That kind of thing. And it looks, it can't be 100% certain because the, the mask partly obscures her face, but it looks like she's smiling. Mm, no, just, and it's one of the oh, most terrifying moments yeah. outside of a horror movie mm, that mm, I've ever seen. Mm. But yet I did have this kind of fist pump moment for Tony, like the, the little boy Tony, mm. because he had the the kahunas, as they might say, to confront one of his biggest demons. So Mm. is therapy helping Tony or not? I think it is. I think he's really changing as a result of it. I mean, we already saw that his language is changing, his ability to relate to his children. He didn't kill the football coach, did he? Yeah, exactly. Old Tony would have killed him. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest examples of how he's changing. There's a, a point in the series where it becomes apparent that the football coach has been molesting one of the players and all the fathers are, of course, well, and the mothers are, are murderous with, with rage and Tony literally wants to murder him. Mm. And is you know he's at the point where he has someone stationed at the house, outside the house, about to do it. But over the course of the evening, his sort of long dark night of the soul, mm. he comes to the right decision. We're not going to kill him. And I don't think that would have happened without therapy. He wouldn't have had the sort of the self-awareness and the ability to reflect and the ability to see there was another way. So there's a real moral maze mm. that The Sopranos takes us even deeper into off the back of this idea that therapy is helping Tony. Because... You know, we've just looked at something really positive that he's got out of it. But the deeper he gets into therapy, the more he realises that there are certain strategic elements that he can use Mm -hmm. within his illegal business that undoubtedly for me have sort of been born out of Melfi's very mature, very experienced, very smart and sage guidance and therapy, you know. That problem is actually addressed explicitly in a, in a later season. I remember where uh, Melfi's own therapist suggests from this study that having a criminal in therapy, all it really does is help them become a better criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Which is this kind of moral thing that a lot of there's like a there's a scene I remember with a whole bunch of psychotherapists actually arguing about whether this is mm. or isn't the case, and you see. Melfi's moral quandary. Is she also helping him potentially become a terrible person? I think what she gives him is the opportunity to have choices. And that's what therapy gives us. We can 
choose different paths. We're not so ingrained in, I can only follow this path because mm. I'm being led by my unconscious and I don't know why I'm doing it and I'm just going to act the way I always do. By bringing the unconscious up into consciousness, it gives you more choices. I can see what I'm doing. Of course, then it's up to you what you then do with that choice. Yeah. Um, the therapist can you know, talk until they're blue in the face, but it's still up to the client to then use that information. He can still carry on making the choices he made, but at least it's a choice. At least he now knows he's making that choice. You can't make anybody do anything differently. You can help them to the awareness of what they're doing, but they still have to choose the path of morality or immorality in his case. I think she's empowering him. He chooses how to then use that power. Yeah. And unfortunately, the power he wields is uh, is pretty terrifying. Yeah, wow. I mean, in that in that first se- season, you do feel that he could take a different path. It feels like that is a real pivotal moment, discovering the truth about his mother. I mean, at that point, he could say, do you know what? I don't have to be like this mm-hmm. anymore. He doesn't. I mean, the later seasons that show that he doesn't, he doesn't choose that other path. And you can see why. I mean, it's all very well, again, having the awareness and the self-knowledge. But his whole life is wrapped up in in the yeah, mob. There's no escape. Um, there's no escape really for for him unless he wants to go and you know go off into witness protection and live a boring suburban life. Do you ever tell anybody about me going to see Melfi? Is that why they tried to kill you because you're seeing a psychiatrist? What are you talking about? It was a carjacking. At least have the decency not to lie to me. What do you want to do, Carmilla? You want to move to Utah? Be Mr. and Mrs. Mike Smith? We, we can sell some Indian relics by the road. Maybe start a rattlesnake ranch. This is our chance to get out, Tony. We could start a whole new life. Have some Mormons over to dinner. Eat some tomatoes that have no taste. You know what I want, Tony? I want those kids to have a father. They got one. This one. Me. Tony Soprano. And all that comes with it. Oh, you prick. There's no way he can live that life. He likes the lifestyle and she likes and the deep lifestyle. Down she does, yeah. 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 Oh, she's so good, Edie Falcon in the series. I think she's my favourite actor in the in the whole show. She's fabulous. I'd love to do an episode on Carmela. <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah, that character is fascinating. Yeah. Well, maybe we should. I think you we know, should. I mean, you guys <laughs> out there listening, you you can help us with with all of this stuff because, you know, I mean, we're nothing. We're nothing without you. So any characters you'd like to see in therapy, including Carmela, because we'd both love to both love to get her on the couch um, any any other thoughts you have on what we said so far please do email us at shrink the box at something else.com that's shrink the box at something without the G because you know we're getting into our, our New Jersey uh, <laughs> uh, vibe here this week uh, something else.com and please do follow us on Apple Podcasts Spotify Stitcher Amazon you know wherever you get your podcasts and get the new episodes and share them with your friends leave us a little review let us know what you think about the show uh, and if you want to listen to Shrink the Box ad free like a true G then subscribe to Extra Takes uh, your subscription gets you ad free episodes of this show plus ad-free episodes and access to weekly subscriber exclusive extra episodes from our good friends over at Kermode and Mayo's Take. Um, So start your free trial now by clicking try free at the top of the Shrink the Box show page on Apple Podcasts or by visiting extratakes.com. And thank you to our top production team. Production management is Lily Hambly. The assistant producer is Bashak Erton. Social media is Jonathan Imieri. The recording and mix engineer is Gulliver Tickle. The senior producer is Selena Reem. And the executive producer is Simon Poole. Sasha, uh, drum roll. <laughs> Who are we covering next time?
Well, in 2019, talk show host Dan Patrick has a conversation about The Sopranos with a rather famous guest, and it leads us straight to our next client. See if you recognize who's being interviewed here. Would Breaking Bad have been made if we didn't have The Sopranos? I don't think so. I think what what they were able to, David Chase was able to do in creating a character like Tony Soprano was certainly paving the way to allow the space for someone like Walter White to exist. Yeah, it was it was groundbreaking. Oh my lord, it's everybody's favorite wife front wearer. <laughs> Walter White, the unmistakable voice of Brian Cranston. Cannot wait for that. Yes, the lineage of the anti-hero continues. We will be looking at many aspects of Walter's behaviour, and that's going to include his realisation of his mortality, uh, how he accesses very successfully, far too successfully, his shadow side, and the revenge of the nerd. <laughs> oh man, that's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm off to watch Breaking Bad season one then, tonight. Um, did you know, according to the Urban Dictionary, to break bad is to give up on typical moral and social norms and go with one's own path regardless of the legality or ethics. I never knew that. I didn't know that either. But yeah, that makes complete sense. But did you know that Heisenberg was a German theoretical physicist and one of the pioneers of quantum mechanics? Well, I wouldn't have known that unless I watched the series. But it is revealed somewhere in the in the last season, as I recall. And that was, of course, his drug lord name. Um, but yeah, no, I think you win with the uh, the more interesting fact. Um, <laughs> and I think Break Bad is a, definitely something only Americans would say, isn't it? I think so. I can't, I can't imagine. I can't imagine me it saying doesn't... to you, oh, Sash, I've done it again. I've broken bad. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound right in an English accent. No, no. All right, well, we'll see you for, for more naughtiness on the couch next week. Ta-da. Bye. Now, for those of you who want to watch the brilliant Sopranos moments featured in our podcast, here's where you can find them. Now, the opening clip at the top is where Tony, played by James Gandolfini, of course, talks to Paul Lee, played by the incredible Tony Sirico, at the Bada Bing from episode 11, Nobody Knows Anything. Uh, it was written by David Chase and Frank Renzulli, and the director is Henry Bronctine. The clip where Tony says he loves Dr. Melfi, that's Pax Soprana, episode six, incredible episode, written by David Chase and Frank Renzulli, directed by Alan Taylor. Tony getting angry about the payment to Melfi is The Legend of Tennessee Moltisanti, episode eight. It's written by David Chase and Frank Renzulli and directed by Timothy Van Patten. Livia, played by the unforgettable, fantastic Nancy Marchand, wanting to stick a fork in Tony's eye. That's from Down Neck, episode seven, written by David Chase, Mitchell Burgess and Robin Green, directed by Lorraine Sinner. Finally, Carmella, played by the wonderful Edie Falco, asking Tony about witness protection is from episode 12, Isabella. The writers are David Chase, Mitchell Burgess and Robin Green, and that was directed by Alan Coulter. All our clips are from The Sopranos series one, the lead writer and creator is David Chase, and it's produced by Chase Films, Brad Gray Television, Soprano Productions Incorporated, Brillstein Entertainment Partners, and Home Box Office, better known as HBO. All episodes are available on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Sky, or go to justwatch.com for more streaming providers. Thank you for listening, and see you next week. <laughs>